You're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland, the show where artists talk about their work. I want to remind you that KBOO is a volunteer-powered community platform. That means we are funded by you, the listener. If you're enjoying this program, please show your support by making a contribution today or become a monthly sustaining member. Just go to kboo.fm slash give or text the letters KBOO to the number 44321. Thanks very much. My name's Joseph Gallivan. You're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is Sarah Kate Nomura. She's the Assistant Director of Exhibitions at Portland Japanese Garden. Sarah Kate is here talking about Takahiro Iwasaki, Nature of Perception, a show that runs at the garden now through December the 4th. Thanks very much for doing Art Focus once again, Sarah Kate. Of course, Joseph, it's so wonderful to see you. Thanks for coming to the garden. We're back in the Pavilion Gallery, which is dominated by one piece by Takahiro Iwasaki. So he's a a young artist from Hiroshima. He came here as artist in residence. So you have a program where an artist can come, they look around a city, they decide what they're going to do. This is, um, well, did he make this piece here or did he bring it with him? So... He made this piece in Japan, and we actually started conversations with him several years ago. We were planning on having him be our artist-in-residence in 2020. The reason we were thinking about having him come in 2020 is that that was the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II. This artist is from Hiroshima, and his hometown really... I think affects his worldview and the type of works that he makes. So this piece was made in Hiroshima starting in 2020, and he finished it in 2023. I thought it was a balsa wood model, like an architectural model of a temple, you know, like a Buddhist temple. But it's not. It's made of cedar. It looks really delicate and ephemeral, and I think that's a theme throughout his work and the pieces you'll see at the garden. But you're right, it's made of cypress, which is a traditional building material in Japan. And this artist has an uh, an architectural background, and he uses traditional building mate- uh, techniques on his pieces. One of the amazing features of this piece is it's, it's a reflection of itself. So at my eye level, everything is reproduced so that the whole gate is flipped upside down. The bottom half is an upside down version of the top. And when you look at it, you know, you can see the the sort of degradation of the roof is very similar. Yeah, how accurate is he trying to be here? He's so accurate. He actually prints out blueprints um, to base his artworks from. And this is um, referencing a historical gate, which is no longer standing. And yet he took meticulous care in researching it to try and make it as accurate as possible. With this piece and many of his others, he really encourages you to get in close and look at it from different angles. You'll see he really takes delight in seeing people crouch down or stand on their tippy toes mm-hmm. or walk around the piece to take it all in. 
it does invite inspection mm -hmm. but really it's a you know it's a big old metaphor right it's not <laughs> yeah. just a, a strange object the kurosawa film rashomon rashomon is the gate into what was kyoto and um it's destroyed so what does uh, takahiro iwasaki do with that metaphor of the gate which he came to through the movie he uses gates in a lot of his pieces and he, you're exactly right. It can be a metaphor. I don't know. What is this distinction between in and out? A gate can have a lot of different meanings. It can be something welcoming. It can be a barrier to entry. This gate in front of us is spectacularly shattered and broken. So it was once meant to keep people out, but it's become very porous. So part of the symbol of, symbolism of this gate is that it's reflected beneath. And there's a concept in Buddhism that's used in some Japanese art architecture of temples where there'll be a mirror pond abutting the temple and it kind of hints at another world, a better world. Um, and that's something Takahiro has spoken about with this piece that, you know, this broken gate is ephemeral but maybe lying just beneath there's a gateway to something greater. Mm -hmm. Just to look at the, the architectural details, there are columns which are pretty substantial um, but everything else seems to have been attacked or destroyed mm. so within within the gate there are doorways that that are sort of crisscrossed wood they could be shutters or they're all hanging off or they're broken the roof tiles are these cylindrical tiles which have been sort of thrown up in the air and, and landed again so there are two roofs one is between the two there's a little balcony and then the very top roof is really destroyed as though you know like by a typhoon or something it looks like he broke them off you know with the pliers sort of very deliberately is there supposed to be a, a type of destructive force that he's referencing like a typhoon or is it just his vision of decay i think it's open to interpretation this gate factually was destroyed in the 12th century um, during a civil war. The viewpoint I bring to it, I think it could be a reference to World War II and the destruction, but also hope and kind of rebuilding that happened after. But it, it is an open question. Was it weather or people or time um, that broke this piece? And I, I know that he thinks a lot about time when he's creating his work. Um, moving from the past through the present into the future. And I think that the reflection um, of this work is kind of showing that it endures through time and the fact that it's degrading before us. Mm -hmm. And also as a way of taking an object and making you look at it differently. Yes. Like reflection is, is quite an amazing thing because you get this second version, which is the opposite, you know, different. Yes, it's a great perspective. There's a Japanese concept of mitate, which doesn't really have a direct translation, but it's like seeing things anew or from a different perspective. A trend to kind of in a tongue-in-cheek way use one object to reference another, um, a bigger concept, a bigger idea. So he's using an architecturally accurate model that's been reflected, but it, it invites us in to think about what he might have been thinking about at the time. Something he's mentioned is that he really loves the idea that he's having a conversation with people who might not even be born yet through his work, um, that 
they will look at a piece and wonder, what was Takahiro thinking when he made that? And he feels really energized by that idea that he's, you know, participating in the lives of people who come after us. Mm-hmm. And one thing people in the future might think is, here's an artist who had loads of time and money on his hands, really. I mean, it's a great luxury to work in such detail and then have it hanging in this beautiful gallery, you know, sort of untouchable. What other kinds of work does he do? Is he always this this sort of precise and focused? My understanding is that he takes great pleasure in working quietly by himself for long hours. <laughs> um, and you'll see that reflected in a lot of his work. He works in miniature scale. He'll use bits of hair, a toothbrush bristle. You'll see he used lots of thread in this exhibit. But to another point you made about the luxury nature of it, scarcity has always been a big part of the artist's life and artistic decisions. He grew up without many resources and would make his own toy robots out of cardboard. And then in university, he would basically find discarded trash to make his artwork um, because he just never had the abundance um, Mm -hmm. to buy expensive materials. So Takehiro Iwasaki has two other pieces in this gallery. Um, They're both books with little spindly cranes coming out of the pages. You know, the books are standing on their edge and these tiny little cranes are coming out. Um, They look like they're made of copper wire. They're actually made out of thread, which has been reinforced with glue. There was a ribbon bookmark in this book, and he very meticulously unraveled it and created a tiny crane sculpture emerging from the book from those threads. That's amazing. I had no idea it was thread. Um, How does he get it so rigid? I believe that he soaks the thread in glue very meticulously using the tiniest tools like toothpicks will shape it just how he wants it and then let it set. So the book, uh, each piece is called Tectonic Model and they're both books about Rashomon. They're both cranes coming out of books and the, the cranes you say are made of the the red ribbon bookmark that is in the spine and they're both carrying like a letter T so um, it looks like someone's about to finish off a Trump Tower it's <laughs> like they're putting a you know branding on something any any idea what's going on why a crane I mean what's that got to do with tectonic there's a few themes going on here I think The crane is a symbol for change in a lot of Takahiro's works. And it almost looks like the, like you said, the book is a skyscraper and the crane is emerging out of it. So I think it's showing that although the story moves and changes, the story, the words on the page remain the same. We interpret the story differently over time. This book is um, a series of short stories which inspired Uh, Kurosawa's Rashomon movie and then on the other side of the gallery moving through time um, is a book about the director in the movie Um, I'll also say that Takahiro takes great pleasure in going to bookstores he had a wonderful time at Powell's and had very good things to say about Portland (laughs) after that Mm -hmm. experience Um, and he loves looking for I don't know connections with stories and books and physical books as well so he was here for a month right I mean we're we're talking mid late September when when did he go home to Japan 
he just left this last Monday, so he's he was in Japan for the or sorry in Portland for the whole month of September, mm-hmm. um, which is a short amount of time to create this much work. I was really impressed. Did he have a studio here? Or where did he do all this work? He created the lo- a lot of the work um, in his residence while he was here. So just in his <laughs> Airbnb that he was staying at. Um, he also created some work on site. We closed off one of the galleries, so he had a little space to spread out. Um, mm-hmm. But it's amazing. He showed up with <laughs> only um, a laptop and his phone and sourced everything else while he was mm-hmm. here. Being hyper-local is really important to him and his work, referencing place. Mm-hmm. My name's Joseph Gallivan. You're listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week is Sarah Kate Nomura. She's the Assistant Director of Exhibitions at Portland Japanese Garden. And she's talking about Takahiro Iwasaki, Nature of Perception, which runs now through December the 4th. So we're in the Tanabe Gallery by the gift shop and Iwasaki has taken over that whole (laughs) corner in a way that no one's ever done before. And he's basically filled this right-angled glass section with what looks like a whole geological layers of cloth. They're all brightly colored pieces of fabric, sort of twisted. They, they blend into each other, you know, exactly like rock, really. It's like a cross-section. And then on top of that is a river and a lot of Portland bridges and a few other... Um, sites people recognize like the um, like the Portland Oregon sign which was the white stag sign there's a little um, snow-capped Mount Hood but it, let's go over and, and get a bit closer to it because you got to be quite tall to see what's going on and what's it called out of disorder thread through time so Iwasaki was here for a month and this is one of the things he did right he he built this model of the Willamette, basically Portland. So, what do you what do you see when you when you look at the fabric? I see surprisingly accurate layers of story and time, and just different people in our community all coming together. The artist sourced materials both from thrift stores and also asked people who work at the garden to bring in fabrics that's meaningful to them, and he really. Uh, something that he mentioned was he really got the impression in Portland that it's well something he said was that when he was traveling in New York he felt like it was a true melting pot he saw lots of different people coming together from different parts of the world and then once they came to New York they all became New Yorkers and he felt like when he came to Oregon he felt what he described as more of a mixing salad bowl effect where everyone got to keep their identities that they came to the city with and that they were really celebrated for being unique and individual. So he's really tried to capture that in this piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'll see fabric um, from immigrants, from different walks of life. You'll see some of the businesses around Portland, including the Portland Japanese Gardens logo. Um, And he also asked his mom to mail him some kimono from Japan so that he could add himself into this story. Mm So these aren't these aren't just random bins fabric, right? Trader Joe's in there for a reason. Um, you know this red, white, and black blanket, crochet blanket with little bubbles on it. Is that from someone here? Do you have any idea? 
The one story I'm most familiar with is this blue and red striped piece over here because I brought that in. It was the swaddle that my daughter slept in um, for the first few months of her life. And so my eye goes straight to that whenever mm -hmm. I see this piece. You're going to get it back? It's okay. I was very excited to see it used in this way. She's too big <laughs> for it now. But I know a lot of other people in the garden have deeply personal stories like that. But mm -hmm. even if you don't have one of your own fabrics, I, I feel drawn into it. I, it's whimsical, but I also recognize, you know, like the Trader Joe's bag and a Powell's logo mm -hmm. popping out here and there. I, so the, uh, on the top surface, which is very weird because it's a river flowing uphill mm -hmm. and then downhill, is uh, the river is always picked out in blue and white fabric, a lot of wave pattern. They look like Japanese fabrics, actually. Um, and then the bridges, here's my favorite, the Fremont Bridge, <laughs> the big white arch bridge um, surrounded by dark green towels, obviously like the forests. And then the white is the concrete base. Is this again um, string and glue? Yes, he's pulled out thread from the towel that is helping to support and hold up the bridge to make oh. this structure. So every little sculpture you see on this piece is made of something really small and delicate, pulled out threads from the fabric beneath. So the, so the white towel makes the white Fremont Bridge and this red towel makes um, whatever that one is, the, the <laughs> railroad bridge, I think. And then there's the boxy old steel bridge. And then I don't see... Burnside, I guess, because it's concrete. But he does. Uh, what I like is he does some of the uglier things, the the uh, cell phone towers and the radio masts. Um, and I guess there's some kind of accuracy here, some kind of geographical accuracy. Yes, this whole piece is made from the viewpoint of looking out into the city from the Portland Japanese Garden. So you'll see the Portland, Oregon sign is backwards we're viewing it from behind because we're perched up at the at the garden the whole all of the elevation and um kind of layers of soil are things that he meticulously researched so it does rise up gently but apparently he was kind of thinking about it from the being on a hill at the garden mm -hmm. is the geology correct i mean surely he didn't go to that extent my understanding is that he did do some deep research into that i'm not sure how exactly accurate but he was that was a consideration while making this piece. I mean, there is a big fault line, okay? Yes. He slashed through You're several right. layers and just moved them up and down like some kind of you know, geological fault. Um, and then going back further downtown, so you've got a green bridge, a white bridge, a blue bridge. Um, you know, what was he, was he like studying engineering drawings is it that kind of detail I'm not sure I think he used a lot of reference photos for these pieces and I think he would have happily spent two more months getting every single bridge and landscape feature into this piece he really cares about the details like that um, I will ask him if he got if he used any drawings to make these pieces because I wouldn't be surprised if he did but I know that when he was flying in, he was taking a lot of pictures out of his window and got really mm -hmm. energized by some of the like towers that he was seeing coming out of the Willamette and then also just on the city skyline. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, one thing with the artists in residence is they, they're tourists, so they just, in a way, see the, see the city like a tourist. Certain things that are obvious are just in their work. 
do you know do you know what other kind of research he was doing into the culture of Portland that isn't to do with say the visual makeup of the city but is about other things yeah I, well, I have to give a shout out to my colleague Yuki Wallen who was his guide throughout his experience in Portland they spent many long days sourcing material for his art but at the same time visiting he really likes to visit places that locals would go to so he'll stop into a corner store um, grocery stores he spends a lot of time in any bookstore he could find so while it's true he does come from a tourist perspective he did make a lot of effort to I don't know kind of walk the streets of Portland while he was here mm-hmm. I don't see any tents that's true he has referenced homelessness issues in his previous works he when he was studying in Edinburgh he felt that there was a really strong dichotomy which he's often drawn to between um, the Edinburgh Castle which I don't know the proper name of and then the neighborhoods immediately surrounding it Um, so he was collecting refuse and actually put site-specific installations into homeless camps where people were living just to uh, of the Edinburgh Castle Um, I'm curious to know what he thought about Portland, but I didn't get to speak to him mm-hmm. about that. So in his other work, which you have a book in the Pavilion Gallery, which shows his work in Venice yeah. and other places, he's done different things where he made a bunch of um, like signs, you know, like gas station signs and logos, shell, that kind of thing, and put yes. them on poles that are on the floor. And it's a different kind of work. There isn't that this fragile nature and all this handmade kind of feel that they look a lot more solid i mean that was that was 10 years ago right so do you know how his work is evolving say i mean he's in his 40s right is he well i think yeah mid 40s i'm going to answer that in a slightly different way because i don't (laughs) um a theme that i've seen throughout his work is the kind of ephemeral nature of a cityscape. So part of that is all of the buildup that happens by industry, commercialism, and growing up in Hiroshima, he had a strong sense that it could all disappear in a fleeting moment. Um, he said that when he heard planes flying, over, flying overhead, he was worried that kind of in, in the blink of an eye, his world would end. So I think he views all of these man-made objects and billboards as part of the feel of a city but also kind of a symbol of how temporary it all is it, mm-hmm. it will change in, a, in an instant but I have seen over time it looks like he's drawn more and more to um, I'm not sure I, I don't know I should I just don't have a good answer I think for your question in, in, in that book there are pictures of work he's done which are amazing like everything is just black uh, mm-hmm. It's like a black liquid surface and then tiny little structures. And then you realize, oh, these are oil. This is like an oil field. Yeah. Or this is the ocean with uh, oil rigs on the ocean. And he is using that technique of the tiny string, you know, like super thin yeah. building materials. So, and I mean, he, I've seen other things where he's mimicked like cranes but on an industrial scale and big just big factory shaped objects so this is a thing but this piece here it seems kind of almost cheerful you know the bright colors of the fabric 
every sort of color-coded bridges. It, it just seems maybe he reacted in a different way, given only a month and given he was in Portland in the summer, perhaps. I think he had a really positive, cheerful experience here, which I think is reflected in his work. Um, one of those darker pieces that I saw, I think he was really affected by the Fukushima nuclear disaster. And so he did a really dark, black, inky um, model of the Fukushima nuclear plant. Um, so I agree, kind of his experience with the built environment and his emotional reactions play into his work. This one definitely has a very joyful, playful feel. Mm-hmm. I think, is there going to be any programming around this work that view listeners could come to the come to Japanese Garden and, and check out? Well, we have some really wonderful gallery docents who are there whenever the gallery is open, who are very knowledgeable and invite people in to learn more about the work and are happy to chat. We don't have any lectures for this exhibit, but it's something that we hope to do more of in the future. Um, so we'd love to hear from folks if there's anything that they want to hear more about from us. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an update on the um, the Institute and its new um, campus, you know, the old Salvation Army space in Northwest? I might defer that one to Will, who probably knows more about it than I. I know that it's happening, and I'm excited about the art programming, <laughs> and it's all kind of, yeah. Well, let's ask Will, yeah. since he's here, <laughs> just like Marshall McLuhan <laughs> in a Woody Allen movie. Uh, Will Lerner, you're the communications person for the for Japanese Garden. What's going on at the campus? Uh, right now we're in our pre-construction and permitting phase. Uh, so there are no real new developments to share with your listeners, uh, but we're very excited. We're hoping to open up the campus in 2025. It won't be an attraction like Portland Japanese Garden, but we will have uh, ticketed events there, which will include workshops, lectures, and more with uh hopefully a lot of these uh, artists and residents as mm-hmm. they come through Portland. So it'll be a place where people visit and, and they study, and then there will be the occasional public event for people interested in Japanese culture. Correct, yeah. Whereas during business hours, anyone can come up to Portland Japanese Garden as they wish. Uh, at Japan Institute, events will be ticketed and more limited, um, but uh, no less exciting. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Will. So, Sarah Kate, what's the next exhibition after this? So, opening in December is a Netsuke exhibition, which are tiny sculptures. We're going to be showcasing more of the garden's collection. Um, And we're excited to show folks some Netsuke they haven't seen before. Um, And they're just really beautiful pieces. Netsuke are little ornaments with a practical use. Exactly. They were used um, in the Edo period as part of an adornment of a man's kimono. Um, Instead of having pockets where you could tuck items into, they were used to help secure um, small boxes or some of the small items that folks would carry. There's like a toggle. Mm -hmm. So they're like ornate carved toggles. Exactly. Some of them are really decorative and like Iwasaki's work can have deep symbolism and meaning and kind of, yeah, tongue-in-cheek double meanings. My name's Joseph Gallivan. You've been listening to Art Focus on KBOO Portland. My guest this week was Sarah Kate Namura. She is the Assistant Director of Exhibitions at Portland Japanese Garden. Sarah Kate was talking about Takahiro Iwasaki, Nature of Perception, a show which is on now through December the 4th. Thanks very much for doing Art Focus once again. Sarah Kay. Thank you.
Thanks, Joseph. I love your program. It's a pleasure to be on. Andy Warhol looks a scream. Hang him on.